am carnivore to my core. Hello, I'm John Rossi. I'm a touring drummer with a love for all things animal. When I'm on the road, I spend as much time as possible visiting zoos, aquariums, rescues, and rehab facilities. Now, I want to share those places with you. I'll be talking to keepers, vets, conservationists, volunteers, anyone who is as passionate about animals as I am. Join me on my Raw Safari. Hello, 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 and welcome back to the podcast that has such a boring TikTok account that I felt the need to bring you a true TikTok star, the Rossafari Podcast. That's right, y'all. You may know that at Rossafari Pod on TikTok is, is where you can find the few videos that I've posted and the few more that are coming when I uh, allow myself to TikTok it up. However, I am here today to bring you a true TikTok legend. And don't worry for all of you who are thinking, I don't even know what TikTok is. Of course, this person is also a zookeeper at the Hogle Zoo in Utah. And uh, we're going to talk about all kinds of cool animal and zookeeping stuff. Of course, those of you who are on TikTok already know I'm talking about Zookeeper Mel. Before I tell you what's coming in today's interview, uh, let me start off by telling you that uh, while you can follow my TikTok, the real place to be is Instagram and also Facebook. Uh, you can find me there at Rossafari. And of course, there's Rossafari.com, which is my website, and uh, Patreon.com slash Rossafari to support the pod. I mentioned uh, on Zoo News last week that season two of the podcast will be launching soon, and I am excited to bring it to you all. Part of that is going to be a complete revamping of my Patreon. And y'all, if you become a patron, you're going to get some really cool bonus stuff. We're going to be ratcheting up Patreon. So for those of you who are already patrons, get ready for your experience to become just that much better. And for those of you who haven't yet signed up, you could beat the rush and go sign up now. Patreon.com slash Rossafari. So today's episode zookeeper mel it's a lot of fun we talk about a lot of animals we're talking palaces cats and ammer leopards and tigers and scorpions all all the things all the things uh we even talk about red pandas when we're talking about the cats that mel takes care of because red pandas are cats okay red pandas super aren't cats uh, but it'll all make sense when you hear the interview. Don't worry. But perhaps the most interesting part of this episode is that we talk about the illegal wildlife trade and the illegal pet trade when it pertains to endangered species and other animals that really shouldn't be in the pet trade. That part, I'm not going to lie, folks, it gets a little graphic. Uh, not too bad and, and well worth listening to. But, um... Yeah, I was I was shocked at some of the facts that that Mel had for me and and for all of you. Uh, you're going to learn some stuff and you're going to hear some numbers that blow your mind. Uh, I I yeah, just just be ready for it. Um, and then don't worry, lots of cute, adorable, fun animal facts and all the good stuff that that keeps this podcast pretty light normally. By the way, um, Mel and I were both very comfortable and having a lot of fun from the second we started chatting. So. 
I kind of just hit record and we just started talking. So this one doesn't start with the normal first question. We're just kind of blabbing on about TikTok and, and life a little bit. And then we get into the more formal interview. But uh, I really enjoyed the stuff before that. So I, I left it at the front of the interview. So it's going to sound a little different than how we normally do. But uh, I really, really dig it. We'll get to the interview in a minute, but first, here is a word from our sponsors. Today's episode is brought to you by Daydreamers Studios. Do you have stories and expertise to share with the world? Have you ever thought about starting your own podcasts? There's no better time to start than now with the help of a trusted production partner. Daydreamer Studios is a full-service production company that takes all the stress off your plate. You can focus on creating engaging content while they focus on recording, editing, audio engineering, hosting, and publishing on 22 platforms. Log into the advanced remote system with one click and the Daydreamer team will be on the other end ready for you to record everything you have to say. Owned and operated by Daydreamer Network, Daydreamer Studios continues on the company's mission to empower storytellers of all kinds by making podcasting accessible to all. For more information and current promotions, visit daydreamernetwork.com studios. Without further ado, here is my interview with Zookeeper Mel of Utah's Hogel Zoo. So, um, thanks for being here. This is uh, this is pretty exciting. You're my first TikTok find. Oh, that's super exciting. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm yeah. real excited. <laughs> I, I, I actually have to tell you, you may have single-handedly saved the Rossafari TikTok. Oh yeah. no! Why um, like that? I mean, that's great. That's great. <laughs> so I got on TikTok, and and I am I am a millennial, and you know, earlier Same. millennial, and um, whoo! I felt like an old man on there. I was joking around <laughs> with one of my friends. I need to get some dentures and like a cane. And every time I log on, one more strand of hair turns turns gray, even though I don't have any gray hairs. But you know, and when I first got on there, there was just so much. Uh, teenage people doing booty dances and i'm not quite sure why people have decided that it's a talent to wear your underwear and mouth along to a song or a movie clip or but, just smile at the camera yeah, there's videos yep. that get millions of views that people are literally just turning and smiling and they're yep. there yeah I, I i don't under and when i first got on that was all i was seeing and i was like i'm mm, no and then I, I, you know, I searched for zookeeper and you were the first name that popped up Yay. and your content is really good. And, <laughs> um, you know, you have your own little catchphrase on there and everything. And I just love it. And, um, so I, I just, I wanted to start off by telling you that like you legitimately, I was like, okay, there's good content on here. Cool. And then I started, you know, putting up stuff when I can, I don't, I don't do dailies or anything, but, um, and then, uh, yeah, I hang out on TikTok a little bit now. I've started to curate, you know, good things and I'm not seeing the stupidity. So yep, thank you for awesome. that. That's awesome. Yeah, thank you for that. That's really great. There's some really amazing content on there. I mean, there's so many keepers, um, wildlife biologists, conservationists, educators. There are so many amazing people on TikTok. And that's what I'm the same way where when I first got on, I was like, oh, I don't know if I want to do this. And I'm all about educating the public. That's my job. And I love doing that. So I was like, yep, this is what it's going to be. And if people don't like it, then, you know, I give up and that's fine. But um, here I am. So on the Rastafari podcast. Yeah, you've made it. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yes. So, um, yeah, very cool. Uh, I think... I think the idea of using new forms of technology is so exciting, but it's also so challenging because like, so I'm doing a podcast, obviously, and podcasts are getting way more popular. And yeah, the celebrity ones have a lot of listeners, but um, you'd be shocked at the number of podcasts that you have maybe heard of that have like 50 to 100 weekly listeners. And I have, I have shot past that. I'm doing really well. I'm really excited about where the podcast is, but um, it is, it is frustrating sometimes that I will, I will tell someone, oh my gosh, I do this podcast. You would love it. You know, and they're like, well, I don't, I don't do podcasts. And occasionally it almost sounds like I'm talking about like an illegal drug. They're literally like, oh, John, I don't do that. <laughs> like it's, it's, it's just like asynchronous radio, y'all. Podcasts have come a long way. They've oh, they have. Really, they've come such a long way. And I am one to admit, I was never a podcast fan. And over the past couple of years, I've just gotten more into it. You know, I love music and I love listening to the radio and things like that, but there's so many amazing people that do podcasts too. There's, you know, comedians, there's historians, there's, you know, animal enthusiasts, there's biologists, there's everything. There's literally something for everybody. Murder podcasts. That's a huge thing too. Yeah, it is. Glad I'm not on that one. (laughs) (laughs) Well done. All right. So let's get into who you are a little bit. So why don't we, uh, why don't we start off here with the, uh, with my standard questions of tell everyone who you are, where you work and what you do there. Yeah. um, My name is Melanie or Zookeeper Mel on TikTok. And I am a zookeeper. I've been a zookeeper for just over a decade And I am currently at Utah's Hogle Zoo in Salt Lake City. I am also doing double duty at the moment. I was the animal care supervisor for our ambassador animal program, which are education animals. But I recently just accepted the position of supervisor of our Asian Highlands area, which is our big cats. Um, But I'm currently still supervising both areas. So doing a lot, working with a lot of, lot of critters right now. <laughs> Yikes. I knew you had taken the new position, but I didn't know that you're still in the old one. That's uh, yeah. That's I'm intense. apparently, you know, so good that they just can't, you know, find that replacement <laughs> right away. So they're like, you can just do both of those jobs and you're going to be great at it. So that makes sense. That totally, totally makes sense. And have, here's the real question though. Have you gotten confused yet and accidentally like brought a tiger out to do a show? No, fortunately, no, there's way too many locks to get past to make that mistake. So safety is always my number one. Um, I've worked, my career started with carnivores. So that's kind of where I began. And then I worked through some of that, worked with a bunch of different species in my career, and then got a leadership position to work with ambassador animals. And so I kind of took a step back from the carnivores, did the education part for a while, and now I'm going back to carnivores. So full circle. That's awesome. And carnivores were where you wanted to be from a like animal perspective, right? Like you're a cat person. I am carnivore to my core. That is what I always say. Um, I've wanted to be a big cat keeper since I was five years old. So uh, my parents always try to change my mind because zookeepers don't make a lot of money. That's one of the kind of the biggest downsides of being a zookeeper. You do it for the passion. So my parents were always like, oh, maybe you want to go to vet school, huh? (laughs) And uh, that just wasn't for me. And I'm way too stubborn for that. So I became a zookeeper. And yeah, I mean, I did it. So that's kind of one of my other things with TikTok is I try to inspire those future generations of conservationists and zookeepers and educators to get out there and really go for it. If that's something you want, you're going to have to work to get there. And 
you know, if I can do it, so can you. That's awesome. And that is such a, such an important message. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm big on that in everything in life. Uh, you know, I, my day job is that I'm a touring musician. I play the drums for a living and same thing that was, you know, getting to that point is tricky. And my parents were like, but you're smart lawyer sounds good. You could be president. And I'm like, I, I don't want to do that. Um, but I want to hit things with sticks, uh, and then see the country and I made it happen. And yeah, I think, you know, whatever you want to do, whatever you want to be, just putting yourself out there and doing it is really the trick. Yeah, Um, totally. The hardest thing is starting always. Yeah. And finding a path for that. You know, how do you get started making those connections, networking? How do you do that? You know, they throw you into college and they're like, here, take all these courses. Um, When I actually went to college, I wanted to go to college for zoology. And when I started at my college, they put me in the pre-vet program. And I was like, I don't know about this, like pre-vet. I feel like you know, and they're like, eh, it's all the same courses. You'll be fine. And then I got my actual like uh, major advisor and he was like, Hey, why are you taking all these classes? And I was like, I don't know, this is what they did for me. So you go through all that and then you come out of college and you're like, well, what the heck do I do now? You know? So hopefully I can help people find that guiding path. Yeah. That's really awesome. It's, um, I, I think it's interesting in that uh, in my world, in the, the entertainment industry, there isn't a path. Um, you know, my degree is in human resources, had nothing to do with drumming. And, um, I, you know, if I hadn't worked with one specific dude, I don't know if I would have ever gotten my first national tour. Like it, it was all very random. Um, but yeah, if I, I, what, what I find is interesting that you just have to put yourself out there. I think, you know, um, I started this podcast, not really knowing what the heck I was doing. And most of the most popular things in it, like the poop story, uh, and, and that kind of stuff, um, evolved naturally as, as I was going, you know, even the, the, uh, the, the credit song was something that, uh, a buddy of, I just, and buddy of mine and I just jammed on, um, remotely, uh, because it was quarantine and we missed playing music together. And then when I was like, I'll do a podcast, I have like a minute and a half long instrumental song <laughs> that is really good. Nate, can I use this? And he's like, yeah, that's fine. And it's just, it all just slowly fell into place. And now when I go back and like, listen to some early episodes, I'm like, Ooh, I was, I was not great at this yet. But I, I had it out there and I was doing it yeah. and I learned as I went. And I think so many people get so afraid of taking the first step. And if you just do it, if you just, I'm here now, I'm doing it. I literally remember to get over it for the podcast, I scheduled interviews. I set some up. I did not know what the heck I was doing, but I was doing the whole paralysis by analysis thing. And I said, I, I got to stop doing this. So I scheduled interviews. And then I knew that those people were going to ask me when these shows would come out. And I needed an answer to that. And I no longer had any excuse. There was an interview happening. There was an episode dropping. Shut up and do it, John. And yeah. I did. And I'm, I'm yeah. really grateful. You got to make your own path. You just really, you have to go for it. It's not, you know, if you want to reach for the stars, you got to actually reach. Yeah, exactly. So, so tell me, um, so you went to school and, and you, you had some confusion with your coursework, but, uh, figured it out, got your degree. And, uh, where'd you go after that? What, what, how'd you start blazing your own trail? Yeah. So, um, after college, I just did a four-year degree and right after that, you know, for zookeeping, if you want to be a zookeeper, you have to have experience to get experience. 
And so that usually comes in the form of free labor in the form of internships or volunteering. And so I did my internship at Turpentine Creek Wildlife Refuge down in Eureka Springs, Arkansas. Um, Super amazing place. If you're ever in that area, highly recommend it. Um, My internship there was with large carnivores and small carnivores. So they're a place for, they housed over 200 abandoned, neglected, abused, big and small cats. And we also had like one little primate and some hoof stock animals too. It was kind of like a little random menagerie mixed in. Um, But that was really what kickstarted my whole career and really set in stone what I wanted to do with my life and my career, because it was the most amazing experience. I mean, as an intern, we did everything. We worked at the gift shop. We did tours. We scooped the poop. We butchered cows. We made diets. We gave the diets, you know, we did everything. And so, I mean, that set me up for the most success right there. That's very cool. I I love how, how much variety you had there. That's kind of rare from what I've heard in, in internships and stuff. Yeah, it was, I mean, they put us to work and that's, I'm ever so grateful for it. Um, I've gone back there multiple times to volunteer and um, I actually went for a training workshop for a weekend where I actually went and taught them how to do operant conditioning and training with their animals. So, you know, we're all learning from each other even now. So, and then after that internship, it was time to apply for real jobs. And a lot of zookeepers, they continue to do more internships if they can't get another job. Well, I was extremely lucky. I will start that blanket statement. I was extremely lucky in my career and I continue to be very lucky in my career um, because a lot of keepers aren't, but I only did one internship. Then I got a, yeah. So many keepers, they do multiple internships and more volunteering and things like that. And they're still struggling to kind of get into the field. It's very competitive. Um, But right after that internship, I mean, I applied for probably over 40 to 50 different jobs and I got a call back from one. And fortunately it was in my home state of Illinois. And it was a part-time job. So I took that at a little AZA zoo in Illinois called Cosley Zoo. And that was domestic farm animals and Illinois native species. So again, another great mix of animals, totally kind of different from what I was doing in my internship. Um, Very small zoo. So all the keepers learn all the areas. They work with all the animals. And again, we kind of do everything. Um, Worked there for about four years. And then, you know, being part-time, I kind of wanted something a little bit more in full-time. So then I got a temporary job at Brookfield Zoo in Illinois, working with carnivores there. And that was amazing. Again, totally different species. I worked with a lot of small carnivores. I worked with binturongs there. Um, One of my big four. You know, they were one of the animals that I was always like, I don't really ever want to work with (laughs) binturongs. I eat my words to this day. Like they are the best animals. They are one of my top, they're probably one of my top five animals I've ever worked with. Nice, um, nice. They're pretty great. So yeah, but I mean, Brookfield was only temporary. So I still was kind of looking for other things. And once that position ended, I was like, well, what am I supposed to do now? So I worked in a pet store for like two months and then I got the job here in Salt Lake City. And that's where I've been for the past six plus years. That's that's a heck of a journey. Um, and yeah. I'm sure that that felt pretty rough the the couple months at the pet store after all of the cool experience. Yeah. I mean, I started in college and high school in pet stores. So it was kind of, it was very familiar for me. And 
I always kind of love working in those small, like mom and pop type pet stores. And so that's where I've always stayed. And so it's kind of a, a nice mental break, I guess. Zookeeping is very emotionally, physically, mentally taxing. And so taking that couple months off to really figure out where my career needed to go and, you know, what I needed to do in my personal life and everything to make that all happen. That was, it was actually a good time. That's actually really cool. I love that. So I'm curious, uh, your story, like you said, is very different and you claimed that you got lucky, but, uh, I don't really believe in luck. So tell me, what do you think it is about you or about, you know, the very minimal experience that you had that set you up for such success? I mean, you got, you know, one internship then a job, then Brookfield, which, hello, that is one of the top zoological facilities in our country. And uh, and then, you know, your permanent job now. So how, like, what is it about you? Um, I ask myself that every day, actually. And I, you know, I'm now in a leadership position at my zoo where I do have to mentor other keepers and interns and volunteers and things like that all the time. And I think, what a lot of it comes down to is my personality and my attitude of I am extroverted. So I am putting myself out there and I am talking to everybody and anybody in the zoo field that I can possibly talk to. I'll just walk up to somebody at a conference and be like, hello, I'm Melanie. How are you? Where are you from? And just start talking to somebody. And also just, I have a really positive outlook on things and I don't let any negativity get to me and pull me back. It's more so I'm so stubborn with that, that if there's negativity coming my way, I'm going to just keep pushing against it and push past that. So I think that's part of it is I really don't give up and I do, I've wanted it. And so I just kept applying and putting myself out there. You know, I see a lot of people asking, you know, oh, there's this job position open and I just don't know if I'm fully qualified for it. So I don't think I'm going to apply for it. And my advice is always the same. No, apply for it. Put yourself out there. Let them know that you're interested in that job because you really never know what can happen. They might want somebody who's super green and they want to take a chance on that, you know, they can mold and shape into the keeper that they need for that facility because every facility needs somebody different. And so I think that's part of it is I've just always had that positive outlook. I've been really driven and determined to get there. And I've networked my way through it all. I mean, I have friends in all different states. Um, I have friends in other countries. I have, you know, all of that awesome zoo world niche that you should have. Yeah, no. And it's not hard to get. I am a non-zookeeper. I, I started a podcast, I don't know, eight, nine months ago. And it's the same thing. I have friends all around the country and zoos all around the country. The, the promises that I have for when I start touring again, that you get back to my zoo and you can meet this animal and this animal. I, my, I, mm, it's insane. It is. It's not hard. Like people in the conservation world, people in the zookeeping world are looking to connect. Yep. And um, it's the same with the arts. Literally, it's like I said, I, if I hadn't gotten this one specific gig with a guy who then booked a national tour and was like, I want this guy as my drummer, I don't, I don't know what my career would have been. But by being, you know, not only a good player, but also a good person and putting myself out there and like, I don't like bars very much. I'm just not a big drinker, not a big bar guy. But, you know, this dude, Todd, would, would go to the bar after the show for a drink. And I started going to the bar after the show for a drink and hanging out with him and we became buds and 
it, it wasn't like, I don't know, that almost makes it sound manipulative, but it was just networking. I was like, this is part of the job right now. I, I like this guy. I can tell that he's very good. I, I want to be in his circle. And then I was, and then it paid off. And yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty cool how that works. Yeah, it, it's, you know, I, I also, I'm a big learner. And I always tell people that's one of my biggest advice things too, for people wanting to get into the field is never stop learning and do your own learning. Don't wait for somebody to teach you something. Um, so I'm always doing research on new species of animals and things that I haven't done or haven't worked with and the animals that I've worked with, but because I've worked at so many different facilities, I've worked with over 170 plus different species of animals in my career. So that also kind of gives me a bit of an edge. A lot of keepers, they go into the field and, you know, yeah, they start working with carnivores and then they stick with carnivores for their entire career. And I didn't do that. I moved around. I got to different facilities. I worked at smaller places where, you know, you do everything versus very large zoos like at Brookfield. I didn't really know anybody outside my building. That was my little place. And that was where I stayed. And that's okay. But, you know, you got to get out there and do some of that networking. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's, that's incredibly important. Um, awesome. So let's, let's go to animals for a minute. Uh, and I know that you're in two departments right now, but since you just transitioned to Asia Highlands, I want to start there. Um, now I have to tell you, this is, this is, this is sad, but I haven't made it to Hogel yet. Um, the one day that I, I've toured through Salt Lake City once, um, but the timing was horrible and, um, I couldn't get to the zoo or the aviary there. Uh, aviary and, is amazing. Yeah. I, um, I, I've done an episode from there again, just over zoom, but, and it was, yeah, I can't wait to get out there, hang out my, with my friend, uh, Helen Deshaw, who does the, oh, Andy yeah. and you know, Helen, yeah, she was, she was <laughs> a guest and, uh, and then come and hang out with you too. Cause I mean, Salt Lake City is beautiful. That area it is, is, is Un, it doesn't even feel like you're in the States. It's, it's just, it's whole other thing. Yep. Utah has like a bunch of different little biomes everywhere you go. So it's like you're on some alien planet. Cause like, you know, you drive 30 minutes and you're in a whole different landscape. Yeah. It's, it's very cool. But so, um, sitting in the middle of, of Utah is a biome known as Asian highlands. Uh, yep. and so you guys have a bunch of different cool cats there. So tell me a little bit about it. Yeah. So, uh, we have a few different species of cats, obviously all Asian species. So China, Mongolia, Russia, um, you know, the Himalayan regions, those are going to be where our cats are native to. We have, let me think about our species here. We have palace cats. Today is actually international palace cat day. Nice. Hooray. Yay. It's time for interrupting, interrupting, interrupting. Interrupting John. Mm. All right. So this episode was recorded. Well, the interview part was recorded on April 23rd, 2021, which was in fact International Palaces Cat Day. It is no longer that when you are listening to this, but um, you can still celebrate the awesomeness that is the Palaces Cat. They're amazing. Uh, Google if you haven't. Okay, back to the interview. Uh, so I have to mention them first because they're adorable. And we have Amur leopards, Amur tigers, Siberian lynx, and snow leopards. Uh, and then we also have red pandas in that area too. My favorite. I know how much you like those. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So, so I, I'm always, I'm always amused when zoos just throw red pandas in with things though. Like you guys have all the cats 
and red pandas. But and they fit. They so they're a carnivore. They oh no, are they are. They are carnivore, yep. and they're in that same region. Totally so they make sense. They do. I just I, I always find it a little amusing when it's like, yeah, we have these forty-seven types of cats and red pandas. <laughs> um, and at uh, at um, the Toledo Zoo, uh, red pandas are in with the primates. And at the Memphis Zoo, they're also in with the big cat region. Uh, and again, you know, signage is clear that they are not that and everything. But I'm always just like, poor pandas. They just get their own wherever. <laughs> yep. They're so cute and me, fluffy and you so just got to have them. Yeah. So tell me about your pandas first because, well, it's my podcast and that's what I want to hear about. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, right now we just have a male and a female, um, Lily and Lotsy, And they're... I mean, they were originally sent to us as uh, like a breeding recommendation. So zoos have SSP, which are species survival plans, and they get to kind of choose where animals go in different zoos for breeding purposes. We want to keep the genetic diversity and the you know genetic lines clean. So if they decide that an animal needs to move around to another zoo, then they'll be call us up and be like, hey, we have a recommendation for this animal to breed with this animal. Do you have space? And at the time we said, yes, we do. Um, but unfortunately they don't like each other very much. So yes. So, uh, they may be moving on pretty soon to another zoo and, uh, you know, maybe sometime in the future, we might give it another go with another group of pandas, but currently they're just not having it. So that would be really adorable though, is having red panda babies. I don't know if there's anything cuter. Panda cubs are amazing. I got to hold one, uh, like a real little one. And it was, it was insane. Um, yeah, no, I feel like Sarah Glass, uh, who, who is a friend and a, a former guest and is the SSP coordinator for pandas, uh, might've just sent you those two because of the names. Um, just, you know, I know a lot of science goes into it, but those <laughs> names sound pretty coincidental. So I'm thinking maybe. <laughs> I mean, I don't make the rules, so we're not privy to that information. <laughs> That's awesome. So do they not get along at all? Do you have to have them like separated and like not sharing the exhibit or do they just not mate? They just don't breed. Um, they live together full time. We don't have to separate them for any reasons. And um, yeah, she just is just not into him. I think he's made a couple small advances and she says, no, thank you, sir. And you know, that's okay. We, we can't force them to breed. We can't force them to like each other. And that's a reality with animals in general. You know, you got to roll with the punches and if that's not working out, you go on to plan B. If plan B doesn't work, you have a plan C. If plan C doesn't work, you've already got a plan D lined up and you just keep going. So it's always a what if scenario. Yeah, that totally makes sense. That I'm glad that they like each other, like as friends, though. Like that's cool because I I think that would be one of the harder things is then you suddenly are like, oh, now now do we need two exhibits or do we have to make sure that you know we're rotating and and yeah, I'm glad that that worked out that way at least. Yeah, same. They're they're a cute little you know platonic couple, <laughs> so <laughs> that's okay. And um, that's cool. Yeah, they they enjoy our Salt Lake. Uh, winters. They don't enjoy the summertime because they're not hot weather animals. So we actually built a cooling room for them so that they're still on exhibit and people can see them, but it is a fully air conditioned space now. So they like to hang out in there in the summertime. Cause yeah, they're, you know, I like to always say too, they're kind of like gremlins. They also don't like getting wet. So <laughs> you kind of shouldn't really get them wet because their fur isn't made for that. So that's always one of my fun, fun facts about red pandas, gremlins. 
Okay, so I will tell you this. You're, you're, you're not entirely correct here from a scientific standpoint. Um, they are gremlins, and they, they, they do not like to get wet, and their fur is not made for that from the perspective of, um, you know, protecting them. But a wet red panda is the cutest thing ever. So their fur <laughs> is made for that. Um, the few times that I have gotten pictures of, like, thoroughly soaked red pandas, they might be my favorite red panda pics ever. Yeah, um, they're so, pretty cute. I mean, yeah. they're cute in any way. They're <laughs> true, really, true. <laughs> you can't find me, find me a picture of an ugly red panda and then we'll talk. Fair, fair. Um, yeah, but just, you know, from a scientific standpoint, their fur gets wet and it, it's really cute. That's what science says. So. Yes. It's all about um, science here. Facts. But um, yeah, so, okay, so you guys have Amur tigers and Amur leopards. And I am obsessed with those two species yeah um, they're gorgeous yeah so tell me tell me about them uh we have two armor tigers um the male that we have right now i actually have not worked with yet because i'm not fully in the area so he's new um when i first started at hogle zoo i did work in asian highlands that's where i started when i oh, cool. first started working there so it's kind of like a you know again full circle type thing um and when I started there, we had a different male tiger that has passed away since that time. Um, but our female is Sela, and she is another kind of SSP animal that was brought to Hogle Zoo for the purpose of breeding as her last chance. Um, she was brought to Hogle Zoo to breed with our male at the time, who was Kazik. And they... We did intros, but it was never successful breeding. Um, there were many attempts, but never successful. Again, tiger babies would have been awesome. Yes. But, you know, that's kind of the thing with the SSP is they will put cats that have never bred with cats that have bred before. So Kazakh was a proven breeder. So he had produced cubs in the past and Sela had never. So that means genetically her genes were very valuable. And so she came, unfortunately that didn't work out. And now she is a lovely old lady, 18, 19 years old. So she is up there. Um, the, our male, he's only a few years old. I think he's about eight or nine, somewhere in there. So, um, about middle aged and those are the only two tigers that we have. They're pretty much always on exhibit. So when you come, you'll definitely get to see them. It's time for interrupting, 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 interrupting John again. Huh? An older female with a younger male. I guess it's possible to be a tiger and a cougar at the same time, y'all. Yes, I interrupted this for that. Seriously, though, back to the interview. And our Amur leopards, we have an adult male, male and female. And we currently also have one-year-old kids, so cubs. Oh, um, nice. And so they're almost full grown now. So it's rough to call them cubs because you look at them and you're like, Hey, you're kind of an adult. Um, but they're only a year old. And so our couple, our adult couple, they're proven breeders and they've bred multiple times now. So that's really great for the SSP because um, our leopards, especially there are only a couple hundred of them left in the wild. And they're a really, they're starting to become a really big conservation success story because that number, even just a few years ago, used to be less than a hundred. Yep. And there are zoos over in, you know, Asia and Russia and in that area where they're native to that are actually doing reintroduction programs. And so it's really an amazing thing that zoos are doing. And, you know, we're all kind of working together to 
figure out how to do that. And so it's a pretty great thing to see that their numbers are actually improving and that things are getting better for them in the wild. Cause armor leopards are, they are gorgeous. Um, they're angry cats, but they are gorgeous. <laughs> they're probably one of the most angry cat species that I've ever worked with. I think. Really? Wow. Yeah. How, how so? Tell me a little bit about what you've seen. They just like to lunge. Um, our female, she has very petite frame. And so she can actually fit her entire leg all the way up to her shoulder out of the mesh. Um, and Yo. so you have to be really careful when you're working around her because she's very sneaky. You know, they're leopards. They're meant to blend in and camouflage with things. And so she'll kind of hide and wait for you. And as soon as you walk by, she just knows exactly how to get her feet through and she'll just reach right out. And, uh, yeah, it's kind of a scary thing. So, you know, no one's ever been injured or anything. Fortunately, we're all very safe working around our animals, but it is definitely a safety hazard. It's so we put up like smaller mesh and things like that to kind of help alleviate some of that. So those are just how we can work with it. But she's just an angry cat. She is very saucy. Um, wow. Our male, yeah, our male is also pretty angry. He doesn't really like attention. You know, that's kind of one of the biggest things that I see on TikTok is people posting videos, cuddling with tigers and cuddling with leopards and, you know, having these animals as pets and they're getting millions and millions and millions of likes. And it is frustrating as an animal care professional that works with carnivores. Um, you know, I know of multiple keepers that have been killed, um, while working with large carnivores and it's a terrifying thing. And I wouldn't wish that upon anybody. And so to see people kind of flaunting that and kind of just rolling around with tigers, it's a very frustrating thing because those animals can kill you. Um, a lot of the animals that I worked with at the sanctuary, you know, those were people's pets and they found out some of them the hard way that tigers don't make good pets. Lions don't make good pets. Leopards don't make good pets. Uh, bobcats don't make good pets, all those things. And yeah, it's, it's a really dark side of the exotic animal trade that most people just don't think about. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I volunteer for Red Panda Network. I do a couple of different jobs for them now. Um, and one of them is that I'm a, I write articles for them. And it, it was so interesting to me. I wrote my first article, and it was just about how um, Turning Red, the new Pixar movie that's coming out in 2022, that, oh. that is about a, red, a girl who becomes a red panda, um, is going to be awesome for red panda conservation because awareness is such a, a big deal. Yeah. And when I got my edits back, um, I, I, was, I was asked to add a paragraph at the end reminding people – that we have to use this for good or else all it's going to do is increase the desire of illegal pet trade and pet red pandas and stuff. And I had never thought about it that way. Like, I know that it's a problem, but I've always thought of it that, you know, we all know, like, you know, Mike Tyson owned a tiger or, you know, Michael Jackson had a capuchin or whatever. But I thought it was just that. I thought there were a few people who are so rich. And, and I have learned since then that it is such a major problem. And yeah, the, yeah. that that was another thing on TikTok. I'd, I'd actually rather watch the stuff we were laughing at earlier than uh, than see some of the things that pop up. And um, unfortunately, due to the algorithm, I'm sure you get it too. They know we like the animal time. things now. And they're like, look, we gave you an animal thing. Well, 
welcome. Yeah. And it's like, no, oh, oh gosh. I yeah. Yeah. I'm actually I'm really upset about the fact that they're making a Tiger King movie now because the documentary was really bad and and hurtful yeah. for zoos. And um now they're just gonna now that it's died down, they're gonna make a movie about it and make it all horrible again. And yeah, yeah. there's I have actually worked with um some of Joe Exotic's tigers. Um that, you know, were rescued from his facility in the past. And that whole thing, again, is infuriating to me. Um, when that documentary came out, I mean, I had family, friends, everybody contacting me, asking my thoughts on it. And, you know, have you met this guy? Do you know this guy? Is this all true? Did Carol Baskin kill her husband? Um, you know, all of that. And, it's, uh, you know, a fact is there are more tigers in people's homes throughout the world than there are in the wild. That's not okay. That is a fact. And the United States is part of that. And it's a really, you know, you can go down to Texas and buy a baby lion cub for $250 at an exotic animal auction. So I'm, it's- I'm sorry, Seriously? Oh yeah. Yeah. Texas, Missouri, Ohio are some of the worst states for the exotic animal trade. Um, I just always thought of it as such a rich person thing. Like I didn't, I, I, I really didn't realize that. that. Yeah. You really would think that, but the, you know, again, working at a sanctuary with over 200 cats, majority of them were in people's homes. That's amazing. It blew my mind hearing the stories. One of our black leopards, um, beta, he uh, was owned by a policeman and the police officer had him declawed, which when you declaw oh. a cat, it's like cutting off their finger. It's yeah, like cutting no. off your finger at the first right. knuckle. Yeah, no, we are so super anti-declawing here. No, 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 it no. It causes severe arthritis and severe, defo- severe deformities when they get older, but he didn't stop there. This is the worst part. He actually took a pair of pliers and pulled out his canine teeth what with a pair of pliers. So, yeah, it's some of the stories that I have from some of those people. You know, there was a lion we had. They went to Texas, bought him at an exotic animal auction. He got too big. Duh. So what did they do? He had a favorite recliner that he had started chewing on. They just put him out in the backyard with the recliner. I was like, here you go. That's it. So I, I hate humans and I'm, yeah. I'm so devastated <laughs> to hear how easily accessible that is because I'm not going to lie. Young John might've bought a, a lion for $250 knowing nothing. Like clearly uh, you can, you can see as you're telling the story, I'm physically reacting. I'm like almost in tears. I was, uh, yeah, but, but you know, 16 year old John who had way more money than brains and didn't know any of this stuff, wasn't educated on it. Would have thought that was the coolest thing ever. I would have yeah. never done the other, you know, declawing and, Oh my God. But yeah, I can't believe how excessive this is. Yeah. You were supposed to be my fun, relaxing, easy, silly TikTok <laughs> interview when you have me almost in tears. Come on. No, no but seriously, Sorry. all joking aside, this is really important. I really do appreciate it. But yeah, uh, a lot yeah. of states have um, laws and regulations against it. The sanctuary I worked for, they actually have started you know, they've helped kind of start that trend of getting states to have more regulations. So things are getting better, 
you know, it's not like it was even just 10 years ago. And I could say the same thing for zoos, you know, zoos have come such a long way, even in the past 30 years. And so that's, that's a huge, you know, we're, we're all taking baby steps when you know better, you do better. Absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. I am. I am so bothered right now. I did not. I got realize. you all heated up. You I'm really so did. Sorry. <laughs> well, no, I'm glad because I'm always look. I mean, you know, it's it's important to know and learn. And I just, I've always had this mental image, uh, you know, in my brain. Like I said, that this is a problem and it's a big problem. But you know, millionaires are doing this and blah. Two hundred and fifty bucks. I am. Yep. So disgusted. I am. Uh, oof. Good Lord. On the other hand, I could also now go start a zoo for like what I have in my bank account. So pause. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm kidding. You, you know, I'm <laughs> kidding. But uh, I have to make light of tragedy because that really breaks my heart. It really, really does. Yeah, it's um, pretty terrible. Wow. OK. All right. Um, wow. OK. So that re- you really threw me for a loop and I'm not I'm not very loopable. But uh, <laughs> thank, thank you for sharing that, though. Honestly, I do think that's an incredibly important uh, story to tell. Yeah, so, it is. Let's make it a little bit lighter, though. So let's um, let's go on to your palaces, cats, because today is International Palaces Cat Day. Did you say? Yes, sure is. Amazing. And palaces have the dumbest faces in the best way. Yeah, Um, I call them the original grumpy cat. (laughs) Yes, yes. So tell me about your palaces. Oh, they're adorable. Um, We just have two right now, but we've done breeding in the past with them as well. And they've produced many little floofball palace cats (laughs) that are just angry little creatures. And I love them so, so much. Um, But yeah, palace cats are, you know, again, an Asian species. So they're native to China, Mongolia, those little sections, small sections. Um, no one really knows the exact population of palace cats because they are so secretive. And even in working with them in a zoo setting, I see it all the time. So you ever see those videos online of like, uh, somebody's at their house with their cat and they look around the corner and the cat is like really far away. And then they pan back to the wall and then they pan back to the hallway and the cat is like a little bit closer. And then they keep doing that each time the cat gets a little bit closer. That is a palace cat to a T. <laughs> I mean, the amount of times that I've seen that with a palace cat is it's obscene. I mean, <laughs> I can't even count. They're ridiculous. Um, their vocalizations are amazing. They're yeah, they're they're also probably potentially top, like their top 10 animal I've ever worked with. I'd say just because of their adorableness and they think they're so tough. It's always the small cats that have the biggest attitudes. Uh, I've worked with black footed cats, palace cats, bobcats, servals, um, Canadian links, like all of those small guys, they all have something to prove, you know? So it's like, so it's kind of like the little dog syndrome that like chihuahuas have. It's kind of yes. the same thing. Yeah, I have a chihuahua who is very much not that way. But everyone is like, what is wrong with your dog? Because <laughs> Lexi's about the only chihuahua that is just like, but she doesn't know that. See, the thing about her, she doesn't know that she's a dog. Oh. Um, she sometimes looks at other dogs with a literal look of like, what the hell is wrong with you? Why <laughs> your species is very weird. And I, I do not approve, but, uh, so, so she's a cat. That she is. She really is. She sleeps right. like 20 hours a day and yeah, she likes her floofy spaces and yep. yeah, that's is basically what Lexi is. Yeah. <laughs> that's probably, probably the same for, you know, any other cat or same for me too. I'm basically a cat. 
Fair, fair. So tell me, you guys have um, Siberian lynx, right? Yes, we have okay. two brothers. And I think a lot of zoos are starting to kind of phase those guys out of their collections um, just because they're a little bit difficult to get and breed. And, you know, we're not just going to breed animals for the heck of it. We're not just going to house animals for the heck of it. And so right now we have two brothers, Leo and Cole, and I love them so, so much. They're also quite geriatric. They're probably, I think they might've just turned 16, um, a few weeks ago, actually. So they're definitely up there in age and they're also very grumpy, grumpy cats. Um, Siberian lynx are much larger species of lynx. So people usually think Canada lynx, but those guys are a lot shorter. I also have a lot of people that confuse our bobcat with our Siberian lynx and they'll come down and see the bobcat and say, didn't I just see this guy over in Asian Highlands? And I'm like, no, they're very different cats. Come on guys. (laughs) Totally different. Um, no, but they are related, you know, and I go through that, that they are cousins. Bobcats are a much shorter statured cat, um, a little more short and stumpy, whereas lynx are typically kind of taller and lankier. And then they both have the little, you know, ear tufts, ear tufts the little black yes. ear tufts. Lynx are usually a little bit longer than bobcats. They both have the bob tail, the shorter tail, and they both are kind of tannish with some speckles. So I guess I can see how the average person would you know, not know what it is, but you know, yeah. <laughs> so, Fair. so what is, cause I know that I've seen Canada lynxes everywhere. Um, I'm not sure that I've seen Siberian lynx. I don't think so. Um, no, they're not very common. They're, they're really yeah. not. And that's kind of the part of zoos are starting to kind of phase them out because right, yeah. we're, they're just not around anymore and no one kind of talks about them. So they're, kind of just slowly going away, which is really sad. Yeah, of course it is. Yeah, I know. I, I, it always bums me out when like, I know that there's limited space in zoos, so we have to, you know, figure out what populations we're going to have, but, uh, sometimes it is a bummer. Um, what, uh, are, are they very different looking from the Canada lynxes? I know you said that Canada lynxes are a little squatter, but beyond that, um, they're a lot, they're a lot larger. Okay. Oh, like significantly. Yeah. Like significantly larger. Um, they're probably, I mean, our boys probably weigh 60, 60-ish, 65, maybe 70 pounds, um, okay. whereas a Canada lynx, and they're maybe a little chunky. I'll say that <laughs> with that disclaimer. They're geriatric. They're allowed um, to be. Yeah, exactly. You know, but Canada lynx, they're probably only like maybe 30. Yeah, I was going to say that's pounds. a huge difference. Yeah. So, yeah, our boys are definitely a lot larger. They have bigger heads, bigger faces, a little bit bigger feet. Um, but Canada lynx, they are known for their like weirdly proportional feet. So Siberian lynx don't quite have that. Canada lynx have very large feet for considering their size. Um, but Siberian lynx just have kind of normal sized feet, I guess. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. yeah, I've I've heard a couple people at the uh Philly Zoo um where there there has been a Canada lynx that's usually pretty visible. Um talking about how it must be a kitten because of the the paw size actually. And I'm like, nope. Yeah. But you know. Then again, these are the same people who then, you know, see an Amber Leopard and are like, hey, it's a baby that, cheetah. Yeah, look at that cheetah. That's yeah. always even our snow leopards, the white oh, no. leopards, people call them cheetahs all the time. <laughs> Yeah. Snow cheetahs. They're snow cheetahs. 
usually what we have people call them. That's a fun. I like I like that that like imagery. You know, yeah, like it would be pretty sweet. Cheetah. Yeah, let's. Yeah. yeah. Come on, guys. Let's get on that. We've got we've got all kinds of cool gene splicing now. Yep. Let's, come on. Snow They're cheetahs. both <laughs> equally weird. I mean, snow leopards are definitely weird. I've never worked uh, directly with cheetahs, but I have some friends who have worked with cheetahs and both are very odd species. Snow leopards are probably one of the weirdest species I've ever worked with because they're just real quirky. Um, they're bouncy. They like to like bounce off of walls and do a lot of parkour type scenarios. And, you know, all of a sudden they'll be training with you and looking at you. And all of a sudden out of nowhere, they see something and it just like, it's like they see little fairies or something and they just kind of float off into their own world. <laughs> um, and that's been every snow leopard that I've worked with. They're just not there with you all the time. And, um, yeah, I, but I love them when they get super excited. Snow leopards will grab their tails and chew on their tails and kind of carry it around in their mouths. And it gets real adorable real quick. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. I really, I love snow leopards. They are an amazing species. They might, they might be sitting at the top of my animals. I want to meet list and obviously, you know, protected contact and all of that kind of stuff. Yep. I, I don't endorse anything that we were just complaining about, but, um, <laughs> Thank you. yes, yes, yes. But, uh, but I have, you know, been slowly knocking that list off throughout the podcast. And I think snow leopards might now be sitting at the top of that list because they're just so good and entertaining. And, um, also their faces are oftentimes just very like scrunchy and I just, I yes. like a good scrunchy face. I don't yep. Know. <laughs> uh, one of our female snow birds we have right now, she has like super cross eye. And so that makes her look even 10 times more adorable because you just look at her and you're like, oh, you look ridiculous. And I just can't take anything you do seriously. <laughs> yep. And yet total murder kitty could absolutely, oh, yeah. you know, split you in half if it wanted to. Yep. But, 100%. But yeah. It's kind of amazing. <laughs> I, I, I have often thought that I'm going to die on some ex expedition somewhere doing something cool. And my last words will be like, you are the cutest thing. Ah! And that'll be it. <laughs> Pushes you off a mountain. Done. Yep. <laughs> Talk to me a little bit about your ambassadors, uh, who, who you're going to be saying goodbye to. But what kind of collection do you have? We have a very large ambassador collection. So when we say ambassador animals, most people don't really know what that means. So that just means a lot of smaller species that we utilize in our educational programs, both on-site and off-site at the zoo. So we also have a government-funded program called IC, and they actually take our education animals and go to every second grade class in the state of Utah. And they talk about Utah native species. So it's a really, really amazing program that's really important for our younger generations because it really gets them interested in wildlife and that's in their own backyard. You yeah, know, it's not really the, cool. the tigers and the elephants and the crocodiles. It's literally taking a salamander, you know, a Utah native salamander or a screech owl or, you know, a a garter snake or a gopher snake, a tortoise, and bringing that right to their faces and seeing their eyes light up, that's super amazing. So our ambassadors play a really big role at the zoo because when you come to the zoo, you're walking around and that's when you might see them is we're just out and about walking around with a bird on our hand <laughs> and, you know, hello here, let me tell you about this great horned owl. So we have over just over 60 different species in our ambassador program. And again, that ranges from amphibians, invertebrates. We've got some tarantulas, scorpions. We've got toads. We have a Pac-Man frog, bearded dragon, 
quite a few species of snakes, large and small. We have rabbits, ferrets, tenrex, armadillo, kookaburra, great horned owl, you name it. Um, it's all there. And so being an ambassador has given me a lot of great skills because it allows me to be very flexible. Working with that many different species, you have to know everything about all those species. And then working with the public a lot more. That's where you're going to be working with the public the most is in an ambassador area. You know, if I'm in Asian Highlands, I can easily just go hide in the back. (laughs) Uh, In ambassador world, you are out there. You are talking to them all day, every day. So I'm going to miss a lot of that working with ambassadors. But, you know, like I said, it has given me so many amazing skills and great memories and great knowledge for animal species that, you know, I'm not leaving the zoo. So at least I'm not completely leaving and never going to see him again. That's definitely probably one of the hardest things about being a zookeeper is if you move to a different zoo or having animals pass away or anything like that, that's definitely a hard thing. So I'll be happy. I at least get to still see all of them. Yeah, that's really cool. I love that. Yeah, a great ambassador collection can do so much. Um, I'm curious. There's one species that you mentioned that I would love to um, to talk about, which is actually scorpions. Um, yeah. So my whole life, I was an arachnophobe. And then I started maybe two or three years ago working on overcoming it, um, grabbing small spiders in my house and stuff and like transporting them outside, but like barehanding them and, and nice. just, you know, initially I couldn't, I literally couldn't. I had a, I took all these different steps and I worked it up until um, right before Halloween when I was doing my Halloween episodes, I went to uh, Elmwood Park Zoo and I held a tarantula. And it was great. And I'm now completely, it literally destroyed my arachnophobia uh, when it comes to spiders anyway. And I am, I am great with them now. And I I would, you know, I'd, I'd have a tarantula walking on me doing this interview and it wouldn't even phase me. I love them. Um, I haven't had a chance yet to test it with scorpions, but I feel like scorpions look scarier. Like I can understand that people think spiders look scary, but they're, they're not. But a scorpion has two huge claws and a big stingy tail. Yeah. Um, so, so tell me why I should uh, take my, my love of spiders, my newfound love of spiders and apply it to, to scorpions or tell me why I'm right and, and should stay away from these crazy murder bugs. I mean, I can go both ways on this. What do you want to, what what side do you want? Because all of them, tell me all the things, educate me. Scorpions are amazing creatures. Um, there are so many different species of scorpions. Some we have even again here in Utah. Um, and they're just super awesome. I mean, have you ever seen a scorpion with babies? So the mom, when the babies hatch all these tiny, tiny little, they literally look like adult scorpions, but they're like microscopic basically. And they all pile up on mom's back. And so you'll see this scorpion just kind of waddling through. It's kind of like an opossum, but like <laughs> scorpion style. And so okay, she just that right there, babies. I'm no longer afraid. <laughs> yeah, they're adorable. Um, but having said that, I, even, I don't really handle our scorpions. Um, it's stressful for them, but also scorpions have way more danger options than a tarantula does. Tarantulas have their fangs and they can bite you, but it would be really uncommon for that to happen. Um, both tarantulas and scorpions, they don't see very well. So they rely on touch and their sensory kind of vibrations on the outside to know what's going on around them. So if you had one on your hand, 
you know, again, yes, they have their little pincher claws, their little petty palps, and then they also have their little stinger on the back. Odds are, if you approached one in the wild and went to pick it up, he would pinch you with his little petty palps first. Um, that's going to hurt. It's going to pinch. And they're quite strong for being so small. Um, but then if you didn't let go, then they would use that little stinger on the back. And every scorpion has a different level of how it's going to affect you. Um, some, you know, if they sting you, it's just a little like kind of like a bee sting. And for some, I mean, there's scorpions out there that can kill you. So, I mean, I wouldn't go picking them up and cuddling them and holding on <laughs> to them a whole lot. I just don't feel like that's necessary or needed. Um, if we need to move them to clean their enclosures or anything like that, we just use a big spoon, like a, like a big <laughs> cooking spoon. And we just kind of scoop them up on there and then we can pick them up and move them if we need to. But, you know, it's just not really worth the stress to be picking them up and moving around. Tarantulas are a bit different. Tarantulas, they are a little bit more curious. They'll move around a little bit more. Um, and obviously this depends all on the species too. Some species are way more aggressive than others. And same with tarantulas. There are a lot of the, I'm sure whatever you held was either like a rose hair tarantula or a Chilean rose yep. or like a desert blonde, something like that. Yep. Mexican yep. red knee. Yeah. Yep. So those guys are all very docile. They're pretty slow moving for the most part. Um, but I've worked with some other tarantula species that they are fast <laughs> and they do not want you touching them and they'll let you know. And same with scorpions. If you approach a scorpion and you spook him, they'll stick up their little petty palps in the air and they will kind of pinch them and be like, Hey, you look at these big guns. You don't want any of this. <laughs> and you know, if you keep coming, then they'll grab you and that's not fun. So, but they're really cute little guys. You know, they, they serve a purpose on this world, just like everything else does. And they're important for different ecosystems. And so there's no need to be afraid of them. You're never going to have a scorpion chase you down and, you know, come at you. Their approach is either going to be to stand still, show you what, you know, weapons they have and hope that you go away or they're going to go hide. Yeah, that totally makes sense. And just to clarify for listeners, um, you know, when I talk about like handling a scorpion someday, which I mean, admittedly, if the opportunity presented, I would, it would only be in an education setting, in a safe setting, and with a scorpion who was known to be more docile and chill, never in the wild, never one that would, you know, be not that any zookeeper worth their salt would let you handle one that would be stressed by it. But um, yeah, I did. I do want to to make that point because that was the same even when I met Rosie, um, the the tarantula. Of course, um, her name of, was Rosie. Of course, yes. And and one of the owls there is a snowy owl named Snowy. Oh, um, they're yeah, so creative. So good. Uh, <laughs> they do actually have some amazing names there. But then sometimes <clears throat> that happens. Um, but uh, they have two. Uh, ambassador tarantulas, one of whom is absolutely fine being handled, happy about it, great. Uh, named Rosie, sounds rosy, it's all great. The other one is named Nightmare, is super fast, it does not like it, is happy to flick their little uh, flicky things yep, at you. Yeah, hairs. Yeah, it is, thank you. And um, and and so, you know, it was made very clear to me, and not, not that I cared, but that I would be handling Rosie and would not be handling Nightmare. And even if I decided that, you know, Rosie was my new best friend... Uh, nightmare would not be joining the party. And, and, you know, I just, I love that kind of thing. It's those little things that when, when keepers and know their animals so well like that, it just, it, it shows how cool, um, and how, 
how much animal welfare is the the key. And and I know yep. that and you know that, but I always like to stress that on the podcast too. Yep. Um, animal yeah. welfare is always our number one. Um, it doesn't matter how big or small the animal is. We treat our feeder crickets, you know, the same and we give them good welfare just as we would give our tigers good welfare. So everybody, it doesn't matter if it's a living creature, it deserves to have good welfare. And so I always tell people, you know, I get, I get a lot of hate being a zookeeper. I've gotten it my entire career and I will always get that. And that's okay. You are entitled to your own opinions. Um, but having said that you should be properly educated in things. And if I thought for a second that my animals weren't getting amazing care and didn't have good welfare, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. And so that's kind of always my messaging is why would you think that I would just be out there abusing animals? Like, why would you think that that's okay? I mean, that's not okay. <laughs> that's not, exactly. that's not what I'm here for. Yeah, no, exactly. And that's, you know, that's a big purpose of my podcast is that I'm hoping that by being a, a pseudo outsider, I mean, I'm in the community now, but, um, I'm not a keeper. I don't, I'm not beholden to any of your zoos. If I read something on online about, you know, Hogel zoo mistreating animals, which has never happened. And you guys are super accredited and in great shape. And I can't stress that enough, but I have no problem calling y'all out on it. I'm not getting yep. fired. I'm not, I'm not getting my salary from there, you know? Um, and so I'm hopeful that, you know, and I've had the chance, I, I have a lot of people at attack me for this podcast too. And, um, I'm always like, yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not part of that. I'm not part of the community. I'm not, I'm, I'm in there. I am a member of the press. I am investigating every person I talk to and every, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm here to, I'm as happy to expose bad stuff as I am to share the good. It just so happens that, Hey, when you actually look into this and educate yourself, you'll find out that, Again, with the exception of, you know, roadside zoos and stuff, actual good, actual accredited zoos and and the keepers that work there by and large are people who are in love with animals to the point of being able to uh, or being willing to not make a lot of money off of their careers, but to to help the animals. And we all know the stories of staying late and missing, you know, weddings and all the things because something happened. Yep. I can't tell you how many times I've had to reschedule podcast interviews because, <laughs> you know, sorry, John, I don't care right now. I have a sick <laughs> bird. Okay, cool. We'll do this later, whatever. Um, you know, and, but it's cool to be able to defend that. And then when people are like, well, you just, you're just making money. No, I'm, I'm really not. Um, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah, no. And, and I like having that voice yep. and, and sometimes people are willing to listen and sometimes people are willing to get themselves blocked very quickly and either yep. one's fine by me, but I do love when they listen. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. It's nice to be able to change some people's minds and those people that are willing to listen, like I am here for you. I will answer whatever questions you have. I am an open book. I have nothing to hide. And, you know, again, if there was something to hide, then why am I doing this? So that's, that's just it. You know, you have questions like I'm here for it. I'm going to answer those questions to the best of my knowledge. I am not an expert in anything, you know, in everything I mean, and I don't claim to be, but I'm, I'm damn good at my job. And I've been doing it for so long that there's a lot of knowledge up in this brain and I'm ready to share it. You got questions, bring it. 
I love that. And I love that you're using TikTok for that because you always do. You get these questions and, and you always say your famous line. Yep. That's a great question. Let's talk about it. There it is. So. I, I'm going to I'm gonna actually put that in front of every question that I ask. Now. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> the whole interview will just be you saying. <laughs> some people have and like they, you know, some of my other TikTok friends have done it and then they're like, oops, I got to credit you because that's like your line. And I'm like, I didn't invent that line. It's just it there isn't ever a dumb question. If you have a question like, yeah, let's talk about it. If it's good, bad, like I always look at both sides and, you know, I'll give you, I'll give it to you straight. So yeah, you've got a question. Great. That's a great question. Let's, let's just talk about it. Yeah. I love that. And you know, I've got to say telling someone that they've asked a great question actually has a really nice psychological effect. Uh, when I started this podcast, I've never done interviews before. I've been interviewed for stuff, but and I thought I'd be pretty good at it. Uh, I, I have many reasons in my background that I thought, like, I'm going to be a good interviewer. But I didn't actually know. And my first couple interviews, like I said, I jumped in before I thought I was ready. And I just did it. And I remember it was literally my very first interview that I did was was with a um, a, a animal nutritionist and an artist named Yeko Temple. And like every third or fourth question I asked, she, she would pause and she'd go, and you could tell she was being sincere. And she went, that's a great question. And by the time that interview was over, I was like, okay, I'm good at this. Yeah. And that confidence really helped. And, and still to this day, anytime anyone when I'm doing an interview is like, John, that's a great question. I'm like, yes, yeah. <laughs> I'm good at this. It makes it makes <laughs> it feel so important. And like, because asking questions can make you feel stupid, which it shouldn't. Questions are a beautiful thing. We all need to learn. We're all constantly learning. We all forget stuff that we should know and have to relearn it. It's fine, whatever. Um, but yeah, I, I think the, that you saying that is such a great setup to make the asker feel confident and not like embarrassed. And then yeah. they're more receptive rather than looking for the one thing that you say that that they can interpret as, you know, you mocking them or anything, which you are not doing. But I think it's actually a really great little catchphrase. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks. That, you know, that's means a lot. And it it is for that purpose. I don't want people to be afraid to ask questions. The zoo world is controversial. And again, we should have nothing to hide there. We're doing great things. And I know, and I believe that we're doing great things. And so, yeah, let's, let's talk about it guys. <laughs> let's Love do it. it. Awesome. And so, uh, I think, you know, I have, I have certainly taken enough of your, your off day here. So I have two more questions for you. The first of which is, I just want to open the floor. Uh, if there are any conservation organizations or people or anything that you want to give a shout out to go ahead. Yeah. Um, so I, on my TikTok, I am part of the TikTok creator fund and I have advertised it many times that any of my creator fund, um, sums that come up, I actually donate that to animal conservation groups. So, you know, I guess that would be my little plug there is, you know, if you like my videos, go and like, and comment and share my videos because any of that money that goes straight back to animal conservation. So, so far, um, you know, I don't get a lot of money on there. So, so far I've just donated to the Niasa carnivore project and that is an amazing, amazing conservation group in Africa that works with lions and um, other carnivores in Africa. But they started as kind of the Nyasa Lion Project, and then it went into the Nyasa Carnivore Project. And they're a conservation project that's super near and dear to my heart. Our zoo actually helps fund and 
um, support all of their conservation work. So that's a super awesome thing. And then my next TikToks um, are probably going to go to the Snow Leopard Foundation, Snow Leopard Trust. So they're also a really big one that's near and dear to my heart. So yeah, those are the big ones. Very cool. I love it. Yeah, Snow Leopard Trust. Uh, I've not heard of the other one. I will definitely do some research. Um, Niasa, you said? Yep, N I A S S A. Cool. And then, uh, yeah, Snow Leopard Trust is is one of my one of my faves. They're very cool. Yep. Um, awesome. And then it is time. It's time now, don't you know? We come to the end of the show, but there's one tale left to go. You're gonna laugh and say, "Oh no!" It's time for the Rossipari poop story. Hit me. I had a really hard time with this. Um, because only because I have been pooped on and vomited on by so many things in my career. I legit could not even like pick a story because I was like, well, I feel like that probably like happens to everybody or that, you know, that's just a thing. When you handle a turkey vulture, you get puked on and it literally (laughs) smells like death and it reeks into your clothing and it doesn't come out even after a wash and it is foul. Um, But then I thought about it some more and, you know, Working in a zoo, you work with the public a lot. We're open to the public. And my poop story, poop story. is actually a public poop story. Poop story. Oh, okay. Um, so I came into work one morning and outside the ambassador area, we have a playground. And that playground is like open to the public. And then there's like a cement section in the middle. And then on the other side of that cement section, there are public bathrooms there. And I came in in the morning and there were just all these little like clumps all over the ground and we have free range peafowl. So immediately I was like, gosh, these peafowl, you know, we're hanging out here. There's poop all over the floor. No, upon further inspection, it was human poop, human poop on the concrete trailing from the playground to the public restrooms. Oh. And of course I had to say it on the radio to call housekeeping for cleanup. And that was the hardest thing I think I've ever had to say on the radio because I couldn't stop laughing (laughs) (laughs) that I was thinking, and I'm like, all right, Melanie, like, what are you going to say on the radio? Like, how do you communicate this, that there is human poop that needs to be cleaned up? How like, oh man, no. So I had to like get my composure, pull it together, went on the radio and I called housekeeping and, you know, they were like, go ahead. And I said, uh, there is a trail of human poop outside the play area. And I like burst out laughing after that. (laughs) I'm a toddler. Um, (laughs) and no, they did not hear me. So they had me repeat it. <laughs> and I was dying laughing. So again, I had to pull my composure together. And I just came back on the radio and I was like, poop, there's poop. It's human poop, human poop outside, outside the playground. Can you please come clean it, clean it up? Please come clean it up. There's human poop, human poop. And So then they had to come clean that up. And it was that like, to me, animal poop, vomit, whatever. I can do that all day, every day. I talk about it during dinner parties. (laughs) I deal with it. But human poop, 
is a whole other level of gross. And so it just, you know, you think like, oh, zookeepers are picking up poop all day. Like what a horrific job. No, it is the human disgustingness that I've had to deal with in my career. It has nothing to do with the animals being gross. That's just, they don't know any different. They're animals that, you know, whatever. I've had a gorilla like fart in my face and that was like (laughs) disgusting. But like, did he flinch? No, he went on to that next training behavior during the session and like, didn't even phase him. But for like the keepers, we're sitting there like giggling like little teenage girls because it was the longest, loudest fart. And it just, (laughs) it smelled horrid and it filled the whole hallway. And we're just sitting there and you have to finish this training session and act like nothing's happening. Um, So yeah, I mean, but the human poop, it tops it. So, I mean, I don't even know if that was the kind of story you were looking for. It's probably not what you expected. It's not, but that's my favorite thing ever because it really, I love the fact that it shows like the point of the poop story story. is to show that y'all are so desensitized to the gross stuff you do for animals because you love them. And it's so true, but I always love this little, I'm going to call it a mental block that zookeepers develop where anything an animal does is fine. But yeah. but humans suck. I literally have talked to a keeper, and I, I don't remember if it was on the on an episode or not, so I'm not going to say who it was. It might have just been in our friendly banter, who told me very specifically that they cannot clean up the dishes at their house because um, they find it disgusting and they find human food remains disgusting, despite yeah. the fact that they literally clean, you know, gross animal dishes all day. It's just – it's a weird dichotomy that I just yeah. love. The drains that I've had to stick my hands in to, like – pull disgusting (laughs) stuff out of animal drains. I mean, you literally name it, hair, poop, vomit, you know, urine, blood, you name it. I have probably pulled that out of a drain and yeah, you put me in a human bathroom to do something like that. Nope. Negative. I'm out. (laughs) Absolutely not. Nope. Can't do it. That's awesome. Thank you so much for doing this. This has been so much fun and way more serious than I expected all at once. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. This was, I was really excited to be able to do this. So this is only my second podcast I've ever done. And so thank you so much. It was really great. Glad to have you. All right. So you can find Zookeeper Mel on TikTok and Instagram at Zookeeper Mel. Uh, as we mentioned, TikTok is her her big thing. So uh, if you're on the, the talk of the tick, then uh, I don't know what I'm talking about. But yeah, you can find her on there, Zookeeper Mel. And Utah's Hogel Zoo can be found on Instagram and Facebook at Hogel Zoo. That's H-O-G-L-E Zoo. I'm assuming you know how to spell zoo if you listen to this podcast. But if you don't know how to spell it, here's a hint. It's just Oz backwards. As the word credits backwards is Stydirk. God, I'm a Stydork. The Rossafari Podcast is produced, hosted, and engineered by John Rossi. Editing and fact-checking by John and Dr. Zoe Vesley-Gross. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan and John. Interrupting John theme and additional voices by Taylor Isaac Gray. You can reach John directly on Instagram and Facebook at Rossafari or by email at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Rossafari is part of the Daydreamer Media Network. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.